With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On today's episode of Power of the Towel for the Nux Misconduct Network, it's the goalie episode. Who will be the starting goalie for the Vancouver Canucks whenever the 2020-2021 season begins? We break it all down. If they go with Jacob Markstrom, how will they find the cap room to not only re-sign him, but make the team better? If it's Thatcher Demko, how do the Canucks lose or could potentially lose Jacob Markstrom? We break it all down. Of course, Quinn Hughes lost to Calder for the last time we recorded this episode or this podcast. We end the show with people who didn't even put him in the top two. I'm not talking about people who voted Kale McCarr over Quinn Hughes. I'm talking not even put Quinn Hughes in the top two because those points counted. Those points counted this year. And of course, our guest this week is none other than Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I say it every time. Before you listen any further, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network, wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else. We're there. Trust me. We're there. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel and myself at Nick Bondi. And for the first time in a while, I am not sure if Jacob Markstrom is going to be re-signed by the Vancouver Canucks. All the reports are th- out there are saying that Jacob Markstrom and the Vancouver Canucks are not particularly close to a contract extension. The big, the big uh, break was there's apparently been a big pitch from the Detroit Red Wings. They have tons of cap space. They probably need a goalie for the next few years. Apparently, Jacob Markstrom and the Detroit Red Wings, that could happen. Calgary could be in it. Edmonton could be in it. Thomas Strance of The Athletic on his podcast said that outside of Petrangelo, Markstrom might be the number two free agent on the market this year. And I'm not sure if the Vancouver Canucks are going to be able to re-sign Jacob Markstrom. I think both sides want to get a deal done. I mean... You've seen what the Canucks did this year. You saw what Detroit did this year. Which team would you rather be a part of? But I think it has a deal that has to work for both sides. You know, obviously Markstrom probably wants a longer deal with some sort of expansion protection. Canucks maybe not willing to do that. And it doesn't seem negotiations are as bad as Alex Petrangelo's are with the St. Louis Blues, where it's pretty much he's going to test the open market. And there's been a complete breakdown there, and... He's probably not re-signing with the St. Louis Blues. Who knows where he's, re- where he's signing? But not with the St. Louis Blues. Doesn't sound like 
Jacob Markstrom, the Vancouver Canucks, are at that point yet. But it doesn't take, you know, a genius to figure out if, if, if negotiations go sour for a few more days because we are approaching free agency very quickly. The Vancouver Canucks could be out. Jacob Markstrom for next season. Of course, Rick Dollywell, friend of the show, reporting. Both sides want to get a deal done. But if I'm to guess what is the hang-up, it's term. It's definitely term and some sort of expansion protection. That would be my guess as to why Jacob Markstrom and the Vancouver Canucks seem to be far apart on a deal right now. I also read a rumor that Brayden Holpe, Brayden Holpe might be the goalie if Jacob Markstrom doesn't come out. Hell no. Hell no, I don't want Brayden Holpe here. Are you kidding me? Have we, have we not? Sure, he won a cup with the Capitals. Good for him. We've been forgetting the last couple of seasons. He has not been the Brayden Holpe of old. He's getting up there. That con- Whatever contract the team gives Brayden Holpe, maybe it's like four or five years, that's not going to age well. He just, I, Brayden Holpe to me just screams Calgary Flames. They desperately need a goalie. I don't know if they're going to be able to afford Jacob Markstrom. I'm sure they'll make a big pitch. But if they miss out on a guy like Jacob Markstrom, you can bet your dollar they're going to be going hard, hard, I tell you, over Brayden Holpe. But I don't see a fit here with the Vancouver Canucks. If, you let, if Jacob Markstrom walks, then you got to roll with Demko. That's just, that's just the deal that the Canucks have to make. Now, Thatcher Demko, he's probably, I've said it before, he's arguably the most valuable trade chip the Vancouver Canucks have this offseason. If you can re-sign Markstrom, maybe you look at chopping Demko. What's he worth? I don't know. I don't think he's worth, no, I do not think he's worth Corey Schneider-level prices. That was seven years ago. The game has changed. I think teams are reluctant to give up big assets for a goalie. We've seen teams with a platoon system go far in the playoffs do well. Maybe you can get a late first, early second for Thatcher Demko. Look, think about what the Leafs gave up for Freddie Anderson. Late first, I think it was like 26th, 27th overall in the 2016 draft. Or 2017, yeah, 2016 draft. 2016 draft. So maybe something like that for Demko. But who knows? I don't think it's going to be a top 10 pick, though. Definitely not. Now, how are the Vancouver Canucks, if they re-sign Jacob Markstrom, going to find the room to re-sign a guy like Tyler Toffoli, who I think is the biggest lock to get re-signed by the Vancouver Canucks? Sounds like a deal is there to be made, four or five-year deal. I'll take four. I don't want to see a five in there, except it's after a decimal point. So if it's a four-year at four-point something, get it done. Get it done. Who's getting bought out because to make that room? Because I don't think the Vancouver Canucks, yes, I do not think the Vancouver Canucks are going to be able to find a willing trade partner for a lot of these guys. I'm talking Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, definitely Louis Erickson, maybe even guys like Roussel and Berchi. So who's getting bought out? Brandon Sutter seems like a logical choice for me. That's an easy one to buy out. Even a guy like Berchi. So long, see ya. Thanks for the memories. Sven Berchi, you got sewered by Jim Benning. But, hey, that's the, that's the business of hockey. Louis Erickson, the Senators have a ton of cap room, right? The Senators have a ton of cap room after they bought out Bobby Ryan. They need to get to the salary floor. A fit works there, right? A fit works there. But I've read reports that 
the Vancouver Canucks don't want to retain any salary in a Louis Erickson deal, which seems seems stupid to me. Why not just bite the bullet? Even a $3 million saving in the salary cap is going to help out this team. You, you retain half the salary, ship them off to Ottawa. Maybe you have to give something else, like a, a pick as well or a prospect. Maybe a guy like a, a Gadjevich. Get it done. Again, though, that's the only fit I can see for Louis Erickson. It wouldn't be a hockey fit. It would just be a total salary fit. But do the Senators want to have a guy like Louis Erickson around a presumably very, very young team they're going to have next year? Louis Erickson. Not exactly maybe a guy you want around a locker room to show the young guys how it's done. This guy's completely checked out for the last four years, four seasons. Do the Sens really want him around a team? Maybe if you make it worth their while. But even then, that's a long shot trade. I think the most likely way the Canucks get out of a salary cap hole is to buy out a guy like Sutter and a guy like Berchi. That just makes the absolute most sense to me. Louis Eriks, unless the Canucks find a way to retain salary, a change of mind, I don't see Louis Erickson going anywhere. I know they've told his agent to, you know, go find a team. Best of luck. But unless the Vancouver Canucks are willing to trade, you know, an asset with it and retain some salary, I don't think Louis Erickson's going anywhere. You can bury him in the minors and you can threaten him with that, but I don't think Louis gives a shit. He just want he just wants someone to pay him the rest of that contract. He's not going anywhere. Of course, we have to quickly mention Manny Malhotra, no longer a part of the Vancouver Canucks, going to be an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Godspeed, Manny. He was, a, I think, a great coach here with the Vancouver Canucks. Why did it have to be Toronto, Manny? Come on. But if you're the Vancouver Canucks, don't you want to keep this guy around somehow? Offer him position? In any event, Manny Malhotra, gone from the Vancouver Canucks. Godspeed, Manny. Best of luck with the Leafs. Just not enough... Not enough I don't want... You to beat the Le- the Canucks in a potential Stanley Cup final down the road, though. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anyways, we mentioned it off the top. Our guest this week on Power of the Towel is none other than Kevin Woodley. Just a minute, don't hang up. Yellow. All right, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast. It is Kevin Woodley. You know him from Ingold Magazine. You probably heard his radio hits on the airwaves in Vancouver. Kevin, how's it going today? Uh, it's going good, Nick. Going really good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And just as a disclaimer, everyone, we were recording this during Game 6, the third period. The Stanley Cup could be awarded during this interview. But I do want to ask one quick question. You are known as a bit of a goalie whisperer, a goalie guru. Uh, when I play ball hockey or you know road hockey with my friends, I sometimes play goal. What's one easy tip you can give me to improve my goaltending skills that I can take right away next time I'm allowed to play, you know, ball hockey, roll hockey with my friends? Well, uh, first off, I think uh, my beer league team would tell you that uh, I am not a goalie whisperer in real life. The ability to talk about it does not equal the ability to do it. You know what they say, right? Those that can't do teach and those that can't teach write about it. So that would be me. Um, Advice. I actually started playing ball hockey myself in university as a goalie. I didn't actually start playing. It's not like I grew up in goal. I didn't start playing goal um, on ice until my mid-30s, in large part because I was asked to edit a goaltending magazine um, that was being produced by current Vancouver Canucks. And at the time, Vancouver Canucks, he left and came back, goalie coach Ian Clark, Mm -hmm. and just did so much editing of his teaching content that I felt I wanted to play myself. 
I guess the easiest tip is um, make sure you're well padded because if I remember correctly, those little orange balls hurt just as much as the frozen rubber. Uh, and usually you were wearing a lot less gear. Honest, honest to God, interestingly enough, um, we've had, we've come back to this a lot during this pause and not just us, but I had this conversation recently with uh, Los Angeles Kings goaltending coach, Bill Ranford, who's actually in Vancouver, that's mm. his home base in the off season. He's come back to it too. After listening to everyone else talk about it, it's all about set and square. Anything you can do to be set and square uh, pucks go through us when we're not actually square and anything you can do to be ahead of the plan set and square is to your advantage. In some ways, I think that might be easier in ball hockey, at least for initial shots versus the scrambles that ensue or second chance opportunities, because you're able to sort of move uh, in more unique patterns in ball hockey versus ice, where you know you've, you've got to you know engage and disengage your edges. Um, of course, on the ice, you actually get to slide on your knees, and you can't do that in ball hockey. So set and square on the first shot, and then just roll around a whole bunch if it gets uh, if it gets uh, if it bounces off you and there's rebound. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty that's good advice because uh, I'm a, I'm a pure stand up goalie when I play. Just hopefully, just stand square and hopefully the puck hits me. That's kind of my strategy. I'm I'm not nearly flexible to be sliding around, kicking my legs around all the time. I think my beer league team would tell you my eyes are closed half the time, so it sounds like we've got similarities. <laughs> awesome. So. Uh, why I wanted you to have, have you on this podcast is obviously there is a brewing goaltending controversy in Vancouver, uh, Thatcher Demkem, Demko sorry, versus Jacob Markstrom. Obviously, Jacob Markstrom was a team's MVP this year. He had a great regular season and uh, most of the playoffs. And then Thatcher Demko had those three amazing games, games five, six, seven against Vegas, and really, I think, elevated his stock league-wide. Like Those were the only games on TV at one point, and he was putting on a clinic. So I'm going to get right to it. What the million dollar question, are you going with Thatcher Demko or Jacob Markstrom? If you're, if you're the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I, that's why I don't think there's really a controversy. I think in your perfect world, you managed to hang on to both, right? Like um, you're mm-hmm. going to need two goalies. We've seen it in the Stanley cup playoffs. Ironically, the guy who at least so far tonight looks like he's going to finish the evening hoisting the trophy is the only one who has played every minute for his team. I guess Carey Price in Montreal, but that's probably part of the reason they, they lasted yeah. is only through, you know, into the first round. So um, you're going to need this even more so next year. We already know it's going to be a condensed schedule at the earliest. This thing probably starts in January. I think December's a pipe dream and early January might be as well. Um, they're going to get as many games in as they possibly can. And you're going to need two goalies. And the Canucks have two excellent ones right now. The problem is they don't live in a perfect world. The ability to re-sign Markstrom is somewhat hamstrung by the salary cap situation they find themselves in, in large part because of what they paid to the bottom of their lineup um, as some of the contracts that were handed out during the quote-unquote rebuild over the past couple of years. Uh, some moves that you could argue weren't really <laughs> rebuild type yeah. moves, but that's a different topic for another day. In terms of Markstrom versus Demko, listen, Jacob Markstrom was one of the best goalies in the entire National Hockey League this year. Um, when you look at his adjusted numbers, and if you have heard me on, on TSN 1040 locally, you'll know that I've talked a lot about the numbers at ClearSight Analytics and, and you know, the 34 points of data and truly, in my mind, one of the best measurements of shot quality we have. And when you add all those numbers up, Jacob comes out on top. Um, only one goalie saved more shots total this season, and that was Connor Hellebuck, or saved more goals based on expected 
uh, shot quality, and that was Connor Hellebuck, and, and he had more opportunity to do so. Obviously, played a lot more. Markstrom's sort of adjusted save percentage was the highest in the NHL. So if you have to walk from that, you need to understand, as good as Demko looked, and that is what you saw in those three games was Demko's potential. Um, but, but the ability to reach and hit that potential on a nightly basis against different opponents with some of the other factors that come into playing as a starter for the first time, um, I don't think it's fair to expect it. As, might, as much as he might be capable, there are bound to be hiccups and learning curves along the way. So to walk from a guy who played as well as Jacob has, who fits this team so well in terms of um, being able to manage the difficult shots they give up, but also benefits because they do give up a lot of low-quality shots that I believe helps him find and feel his way into games and play at his best. I still think... You know, there aren't a lot of question marks left about Jacob Markstrom. He's played at this level for a year and a half now. He's shown uh, that the changes he's made under Ian Clark have really, you know, sort of taken hold. And I think they're a permanent part of his game, at least so long as Ian is his goalie coach. Um, the one question I have is whether he could play this way behind a team that didn't give up many shots, where he wasn't busy. One of the biggest things you're seeing in this Stanley Cup final is Andre Vasilevsky's ability to maintain a high level when he's not busy mm -hmm. at all. And it's actually something he struggled mightily, mightily with the first half of the season. And actually, when you look at his season as a whole, I would argue, well, on one hand, I, I agree he's one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League, if not the best. He didn't have the best season and probably shouldn't have been a Vesna Trophy finalist. Markstrom deserved that third spot ahead of him. Um, in large part, because he struggled in the first half adjusting to a team that was defending better. Uh, he was full marks for the Vesna last season because they relied heavily on him in Tampa Bay. They didn't rely on him as much this year, and he struggled to adjust to that. And so that's one of the things, one of the questions you have to ask. I guess it's not fair to say he won't, um, but he's never really had the opportunity. And the way the Canucks defend, I don't think he's going to get it anytime soon if he sticks, is, is whether Jacob Markstrom can make that adjustment himself. Vasilevsky talked about handling the puck more, a bunch of changes he made to sort of get himself in games where – shots weren't doing it for him so um listen markstrom fits this team he fits the locker room he fits the age group he gets along with his teammates they love him they play hard for him like he is the best option for this team right now um and having them both is the best option for what we're looking at over the next year but if the realities are that you can't afford to keep jacob markstrom thatcher demko becomes the really nice option to pair with maybe another veteran in a 1a 1b role uh, someone who can support him while he sort of goes through those ups and downs that come with playing more um, during a regular season. I, I, again, you add it all up, it's a really long-winded answer, but I just don't see it as a controversy. Uh, if there's any controversy, it's the fact that Canucks are having to make this decision based on finances because of what they've committed elsewhere to their roster and the way it's maybe hamstrung them at a time when their two best players in Hughes and Pedersen are on entry-level deals to improve a roster that took a big step last year. Um, but outside of the internal growth of those young kids, it's fair to question whether they'll be able to maintain even that level in terms of the surrounding parts, at least for next season. That was a very detailed answer. I could tell everyone was asking you that question for the past three, four weeks, the way you broke that down. Like I'm sure every, every interview you do, who everyone is asking, who are you going with? Well, and the other question that I get too is like, what, what does this look like? What is this going to, how's this going to play out for Jacob Markstrom? And I do think, and I give them credit, while some would maybe argue that playing hardball with your MVP is not the way to go after handing out the other contracts, the, the reality is this is not a great 
time to be an unrestricted free agent goaltender. Um, This is a buyer's market. It was set to become a buyer's market for goaltending long before COVID. uh, And it just became a depressed buyer's market based on a flat salary cap. And the fact that other teams with two goaltenders looking like the Canucks have to ahead to an expansion draft with Seattle, uh, trying to sort of balance their books better uh, for different reasons than the Canucks, but again, trying to shed salary. That's why you see uh, options that are available with trades as well, not just on the unrestricted market, but some pretty big names. Matt Murray, as much as the last couple of years have been a struggle for him. Darcy Kemper, um, who had had a couple of great years in Arizona. Um, Columbus Blue Jackets, Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens are both available. Price varies on which one, and it's not a cheap price, much like Darcy Kemper. But if you want to stay young, there are great options there. So it's not a great time to sort of be playing hardball if you're, if you're Jacob Marksham and his people. If you're the Canucks, you could argue it's that they have that opportunity here to play hardball and say to Jacob Marksham, listen, this is as far as we're willing to go. This is as far as we can go. If there is another offer out there from, for example, say Detroit Red Wings because they have a need, um, they don't have – you know, they have a need for term too, because there's not a lot coming in their system. At least that's obvious right now. Uh, they have the cap space. They got a young team. What better way than to insulate a young team than a competitive goaltender that's going to make sure that not every mistake ends up in the back of your net. Um, you know, if he gets an offer that more along of what, what they're looking for in that six, six and a half million range with term, um, they have to risk losing them. But at the end of the day, it's sort of, Hey, if you want to stay here, this is what the numbers look like. This is what we can afford. If you keep building your career with Ian Clark and sort of continuing to take the strides that you've made over the past 18 months, or I guess season and a half rather than 18 months, because this one lasted a whole yeah. calendar year. Um, this is, this is, this is your opportunity. Um, but the risk of course is at the age of 30, 31, probably by the time next season starts in, in late January, um, you know, he sees that difference, in both term and annual salary adds up the total. And I, I don't think anyone, I sure as hell wouldn't blame him if he took the money. Yeah. And sorry, you, you, uh, on one of you, something we bring up a lot on this network is from one of your radio hits. And I apologize. I don't remember which show you're on, but you said the Canucks need Vezina caliber goaltending to achieve the level of success they're having. Can you elaborate that further? Like what, Levesna goaltending, like they have to constantly have a top three goalie in the league to like sustain the level they're at right now. Well, I just, I just don't think average goal, like this team is, was not a playoff team last year with average goaltending, right? Like they mm-hmm. rely on really high end goaltending. They needed Jacob Markstrom to have the best adjusted save percentage in the entire national hockey league to be in the playoff hunt. They needed Thatcher Demko to play at a con Smythe level for three games to stay in those three games. They are not a team where the other parts in the lineup are enough to, there are, there are teams around the league. Um, take a look at the Carolina Hurricanes. They built a team that they believe can win without having to have elite expensive goaltending. Now, some would argue that maybe they need to take a step by, by investing a little more in their goaltending, but they've built a defense that they believe can insulate goaltending, a team that can win possession battles, and, and dominate games in a way where it's not relying on the guy behind them to play at a trophy-worthy level to have a chance to win. And when you look at Canucks and you look at them as a, you know, I thought they made improvements in the bubble in terms of their defensive structure. 
if you think, and, and that got them to middle of the pack, they were a bottom five defensive team throughout the regular season. If you're a bottom five defensive team and you want to be top 16 and in the playoff picture, you need a goaltender to make up for that gap. I thought they were better in the bubble. I know that Travis Green had them committing more to the defensive end and, and, and that moved them from bottom five to middle of the pack in terms of the numbers they produced in the bubble. Now, the question is, potentially missing a Chris Tanev to unrestricted free agency, how do you even maintain that level over the course of a season? Can you get the attention of the rest of the team defensively the way they had it in a bubble in a regular season? Or was that just a you know, hey, we've got your undivided attention. This is what's going to take to win. We need you guys to defend and play as hard in front of your own net as you do trying to score goals at the other end. Was that a step taken that can be maintained, or was that just, hey, in a bubble, it's easy to get that out of guys? Um, even if your answer is, yes, this is us moving forward, it still just makes the middle of the pack. And to achieve more than mediocrity, you're going to need goaltending that is well above mediocre. Right now they're they're at the bottom of the basement and great goaltending. Like that's why I say Vesna trophy caliber yeah. goaltending gets them just into the playoffs. To take another step, to lose that goaltending, that's the other thing. To lose Markstrom, he's making three six now. Um, you're gonna have to replace him, I would argue a, even a suit any type of anywhere near replacement. You're not gonna get near. But a decent replacement, a good veteran, experienced goaltender is probably going to run you, what, three and a half yeah. on the open market, even in a depressed market. Maybe you get it for three. I know Corey Crawford was kind of insulted, evidently, reportedly, by a three and a half one-year offer out of Chicago. Um, are you saving enough? That's, I mean, that's less than Markstrom made last year. To actually invest the money elsewhere to make this team better so they aren't as reliant on goaltending. If that was the decision – Maybe you could justify it, but I don't think there's actually going to be enough savings here to make huge improvements or market improvements elsewhere. They need to save money on this contract, and that's why they're playing hardball, just to say the same. Yeah, exactly. And you've briefly touched on the potential Jacob Markstrom deal. I want to ask you two questions based on that. Uh, what do you think he will get? What do you think the potential deal he will get on the open market? And what would you be comfortable signing him to? Oh, it's a tough one, right? Because I don't think any of us really know what that market is. I think even agents, there's some uncertainty out there. Obviously, they have an idea because they're in the midst of negotiations right now. But there's some uncertainty how this plays out. Um, you know, long before we had COVID, I thought this would be the every summer's a game of goaltending musical chairs. I thought this would be the greatest one we'd ever seen before COVID. And now, like, so for example, Jacob Markstrom's decision. Um, is going to affect other people's decisions. And so there will be other people hanging on, you know, like Cam Talbot, for example, is a guy who is going to be coveted in other markets as well as a cheaper, probably lower term option. Cam, I know, wants an opportunity to be a number one goaltender. He got that in Calgary and took advantage of it. Um, so he's a guy who's going to be sitting there potentially waiting on Jacob's decision. If Jacob's decision is to leave, he's a guy that would have interest in Vancouver. But who goes first? Who starts that game of musical chairs spinning? Because there are guys out there that are going to say, man, I don't want to get caught without a chair. And it's a very real possibility in a year where a number of teams have already committed to a younger guy for next year. Like there are more guys out there than there are spots available. And so do you take that risk of I'm going to wait this out? I'm not sure. 
And all of a sudden that chair is gone because the team's like, man, we can't afford to miss on this guy. So we're going to, sorry, we're going that direction. So in terms of what that means for numbers, you know, I saw Robin Lehner at five over five as as the number that was being bandied about Vegas. Interesting. We haven't seen that contract, you know, that type of contract confirmed. Lehner's a guy who could set the market. Well, at the same time, everyone in the market understands that Robin just sort of wants to be loved. Like he wants term um, and he deserves it. Two years younger than Markstrom. Uh, the only goaltender in the NHL, in my opinion, or on this unrestricted free agent market that I would have a, ahead of Jacob. And the only reason I'd have him ahead of Jacob is because, again, two years younger um, and he's shown an ability to play it different way. You put him behind a defensively inept team like Chicago Blackhawks and he was excellent. His numbers didn't fall off in Chicago until the final two weeks before he was traded. And it sounds in talking to people around it a lot like that was basically because that's when he realized they had no intention of re-signing him. And he let himself sort of take a breath and dip. Um, was excellent in Vegas behind a team that can play it anyway. And he was excellent the year before a Vezina Trophy finalist with the New York Islanders, a team that defends exceptionally yeah. well. Um, but also, you know, you don't get as many shots. Like Laner's shown an ability to play it behind many different teams. And to me, he removes a lot of the, and he's, and I've talked to him about this. He adjusted the way he played behind those different teams, adjusted his uh, tendencies. I don't say his style, but the way he executed his tactics in terms of aggression and how he read rushes, he changed them and had success changing them behind different teams. And so that's one of the questions in, in UFA for goalies is horses for courses uh, is the phrase we hear in golf. Are there certain styles that fit certain teams better? And the fact that Robin Schwinn, he can do it a bunch of different ways, to me would have him, you know, that's a guy I would covet. That's a guy where my risk of this guy's going to suck for us because we don't play the same way as the team he's had success with is minimal. Um, if he sets the market at five, to me, that that, that kind of sets it for Jacob, even if, you know, everyone sort of knows that, that Robin's willing to take less for term. Um I, I think it sort of starts there would be my guess, but I think his camp is still looking for more. And I guess the question is how much term, if you're going to easy answer, if you're the Canucks is give them less term, but more money, but their cap doesn't allow them to do that. And so if a team comes along with the term and the money he wants, then it becomes a tough decision for him. And I think that's in the six range and term. If the, if everyone else starts taking less and the market really is depressed, even more so than, than we expected for goaltenders, you know, maybe that comes down. But I look at the Jeff Petrie deal in Montreal, and I'm not sure it's going to be depressed as much as people think, especially once it opens up to everyone. Then you could have Marks from signing in Detroit and setting the market at a higher end than everyone expected. And that would raise the price of everyone below him, including the options the Canucks might be looking at um, to replace him if, if they look at unrestricted free agency or do they go trade routes. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel Jacob Markstrom's game is going to age? Because I think for the first time in a while today, I realize that there's a very real possibility the Vancouver Canucks could not have Jacob Markstrom on the team next year. I, I would have said in the midst of the playoffs that they were 100% re-signing him. They will find a way, somehow, some way to get him signed and clear their space and get him signed. But now I have the suspicion that it's a very real possibility Jacob Markstrom may not return with the Vancouver Canucks. We've seen the injury history. You know, I'm I'm of the of, of the belief that if you go past 4 years, that's going to be a major risk of Jacob Markstrom. Is that is that a fair assessment that 
He has he has had injuries in the past, and even in these playoffs, we've seen that's why Thatcher Depico had to come in. They well, okay, so a couple things there. Um, I had questions about Jacob Markstrom's durability as a number one goaltender before he got that first opportunity as a number one two years ago. There were elements in his game in terms of the reaching and and the extension that's required to make some of the saves that end up on highlight reels that have us all sort of going, oh my goodness, wow, is this guy good? Um, and, and I wondered if he'd be able to stay healthy doing that. Like Jacob's a warrior though. Maybe he, maybe he has to play through, you know, some minor tweaks, uh, but he did. He got through that first season as the number one, relatively unscathed, needed some time off after the season ended, but he got through it. And, you know, there is value to playing through small things, minor things. Um, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there are goaltenders around the NHL that drive their coaches bananas because yeah. of a refusal to do so and, and, and always being sort of unavailable. Being available for selection is a big part of being a number one goaltender. Jacob Markstrom deserves a lot of credit. Despite the questions I had going into his first stint as a number one two years ago, he did it. I know there were a couple of injuries this year. Um, I, I can't say exactly what happened, but just say I know enough about the injury that was sustained in the bubble to say that I don't blame him. I don't think it has anything to do with him being fragile or that he's injury prone. Uh, he played through it, you know, throughout most of the playoffs. And, you know, it finally catches up to him in the last couple of games in Vegas. But I, I don't think the circumstances of that have me going, well, I don't know if we can trust this guy for a number of years because he was hurt twice this season. Like I kind of erased that one personally. That said, um, you know, he is going to be 31 at the end of January, and this season might not even start till then. I think the Canucks are confident that Jacob, Jacob can play at this level until he's 35. So depending on how you talk about this season, that, that's arguably a five-year deal. Um, I'm with you in that, listen, and this is, this is not Jacob. This is everywhere. Um, if I'm a GM, real easy for me to say because I don't have to worry about where I find the next goal. Uh, if I if I walk from a guy that has developed trust in my market, trust in my team, trust in my locker room, trust in my coaches um, over this, but I just wouldn't hand out term to goaltenders. The game changes too fast. Matt Murray is exhibit A on the market right now yep. uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He won two Stanley Cups. He was being compared to Ken Dryden. And here we are just a couple years later and he's struggling. I don't think Matt Murray forgot how to play goal. Um, I think that the game got a lot more lateral. And I think that some of the elements that allowed Matt Murray to have success, some of the style things he did, especially in terms of stance and setup, locked in low and wide and was successful with it and relatively mobile out of it, not mobile enough now that the game has become so east-west. And the Penguins as a team that shut down those types of opportunities and was ahead of the curve at recognizing the importance of generating plays across the slot line or Royal Road to create offense and limiting them at the other end as other teams are now mimicking, ironically, the Penguins and the way they had success and the way the, the Washington Capitals won a cup in terms of limiting that at one end and going out of their way to manufacture it, creating lateral passes at the expense of open looks from good shots because they knew how much the percentage of that next shot going in increased after a pass. The rest of the league is caught on. We're seeing more of those types of chances. I think you see it in terms of this year. A lot of the expected goal models didn't add up for a lot of the public data because it didn't count for the lateral plays. Um, more and more teams are trying to create offense that way. Matt Murray's low and wide. As soon as you lock in low and wide as a goaltender and get those legs spread out, 
you lose mobility because you have to disengage one edge to, to then load the other leg and push in that direction. One of the biggest changes in Jacob Markstrom's game, tall, narrow stance, keeps his feet under him when the play's at the perimeter, allows him to beat plays on his skates, allows him to see over traffic, maintains all that mobility. If you look at Matt Murray, he's locked in like in what we would call Jacob's third stance, which is sort of save execution stance, often when the play's still on the outside like that. Can't move like that. I saw him try and make changes, I thought, this season in terms of his stance, but it's a work in progress. I think Matt Murray can get there. To get back to my point, the example is if the game can change that much that fast, you really want to be locked into guys, even if your coaching staff changes or how they defend changes, or you get a whole bunch of defensemen. What if this team all of a sudden turns into a defensive juggernaut within two years? I know it's a stretch to think <laughs> that could happen here in Vancouver, but, and, and all of a sudden Jacob doesn't play that well behind a team that doesn't give up shots at all, or they go Carolina hurricanes uh, under Bill Peters and they block everything from the outside. So you never get that feeler shot that 99% or that lets you feel good and get your rhythm and your timing but they still give up the high quality chances. And all of a sudden you've invested long-term in this guy and he doesn't really fit that style. The game just changes too fast to give any goaltender term. I know they may take away my goalie union card for that, <laughs> but it's just how I feel. Like if in a perfect world, if you're a GM, you've, you've built up a depth chart of guys behind you like Columbus did. And you know, you're willing to, to walk when it's time to walk, knowing that you can find somebody and develop somebody to maybe take that role rather than locking yourself into something that's going to hurt you down the road. Los Angeles Kings and Jonathan Quick, he's got two Stanley Cups. But Cal Peterson looks fantastic, and he's still stuck behind him for how many more years? Like, it's just – term is just the enemy to me of goaltending. Uh, if I'm a general manager and if I'm an agent, I hate me right now for saying it. <laughs> so two more questions because I know you got to get going here. Uh, you mentioned stylistic – uh, stylistic changes with goalie. You mentioned Andre, Andre Vasilevsky earlier and how he had to change his style. You mentioned how Jacob Markstrom likes to play behind or has success behind a style of team that gives up a lot of shots. That is the Vancouver Canucks. Do you, like, let's say there's a situation where Jacob Markstrom doesn't re-sign with the Vancouver Canucks. He goes off to a team like Detroit or Calgary or what have you. Do you think Demko's style can mesh well with the Canucks long-term? I think, yeah, I mean... I guess I, the statement is more about like Jacob thrives in this environment. I think like, like most goalies are going to like teams that give up a lot of low quality shots, right? Oh, Not yeah. all goalies need them would be the difference, right? Like, and, and the Canucks still give up a ton of, you know, middle and high, high difficulty shots as well. Um, it's a little, Jacob gets into the rhythm through the easier ones. So most goalies are going to like that. The teams that let you see the 99 percenters don't get in your way, don't take away eyes with defensive screens and things like that. So I do think that Demko can have success for sure behind this team. Uh, I think you saw it in, in the Vegas series. Um, that said, the way Vegas attacked, mostly in ways they took away everything through the middle in the house and everything was around the perimeter. Vegas is a team that tries to score from distance. Uh, it allowed Demko to beat all those passes and plays on his skates and be set. Uh, he absolutely has a game that can succeed. Uh, Demko's got a game that can succeed, I would argue, behind almost any team. Um, just as Jacobs could, too. I just think, I guess when I'm talking about styles, like it's, it's more about the adjustment to what types of shots you're seeing. 
I, I think that Jacob would adjust. I think. I'm not sure. I think the Demco style can fit this team, and it could fit other teams too. Like, they, there's still so much there in terms of what's being molded. It's not like, it's not like this isn't like Roberto Luongo, where he's not a great skater, so he's going to be great on Enzo, but not necessarily against the rush. Roberto Luongo, who liked to be on top of his crease and seeing shots, so obviously Tortorella was a disaster for him because everything was blocked and flopping around in front of him. He'd be stranded at the top of his crease and not able to feel or see those shots that were bouncing off people's bodies and all of a sudden it's open on the back door and he's got to get that big body across that big, that, that, you know, that big space back to the post. Demko's still got a game that is adaptable to any system. I don't know yet which he thrives in the most in terms of what types of shots he's going to have the most success with. I guess that's the way I should put it. And again, on the Markstrom thing, I, I don't want to, this isn't me being critical. He hasn't had a chance to show he can play in a low shot, yeah. um, non-busy environment. I just think there are signs and have been signs in a couple of years here that at least for now, he thrives when he's busy. And I would at least have questions if I was going to like, if I was I'm trying to think of a great defensive team, um, you know, if I was the Dallas Stars, I'd wonder if that would be an adjustment he would make easily or would take time. I'm not saying he's not capable, but is it a perfect world to plug and play right in right away? I would have those questions. With Demko, I think he's comfortable with what's here. Um, and I think he's also young and capable of evolving uh, in terms of what, you know, what happens over the next little while. I haven't seen as many signs where I'm like, oh man, if, this guy, if they turn into a 20-shot team, this guy's really going to struggle. I haven't had a chance to see enough of him to know if that's even an issue. All right, final question. I mentioned off the top, I called you the goalie whisperer. Ian Clark might be the OG goalie whisperer. I know that you have a relationship with him. You mentioned the magazine you helped uh, work with him for. Uh, what What do you think he's saying to the Vancouver Canucks right now with this goaltending situation? Because I imagine his voice is going to play a large part as to which direction the Canucks go with their goaltending. I would imagine, um, and, and, you know, I'm not, uh, not privy to any of those behind the scenes management conversations, but I would imagine if he had his druthers, um, you know, and he wasn't worried about, you know, he doesn't have to worry about contracts. Like if you ask him who the best guy is for this job right now, it's Jacob Barkstrom. But I don't think, I don't think that requires intimate knowledge, right? Like, yeah. Like Jacob is a perfect fit here for so many good reasons. Um, we've seen it. The proof is there. He's had success. He, like I said, he fits the team. He fits the age group. He fits a lot of things. Not that Demko doesn't. Jacob's just done it in a number one role already. And I think Ian also sees in Jacob a guy who has made massive strides. I know after the first year, as good as it was the last half of his first year and their first year together, uh, Jacob's first year as a number one, I remember talking to Jacob at the end of the year, and he was more excited about the changes that were yet to come because physically there were things he wasn't able to do and he needed an offseason to train in order to be able to execute some of the things Ian wanted him to. And so there was a building process. And as good as he was at the end of the second half of that first year, he just saw the future. He saw what was coming. And he was committed to being able to physically reach those goals within this past season. And he did. And so, um, you know, I think Ian sees that and sees a guy who probably, if he repeats it again, is in the Vesna conversation again. And that would be another goal center he's coached in the Vesna conversation. So, like, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to say that Jacob Markstrom is the perfect fit here because he's already proven it with the same group they're likely to have back. And I would think that Ian Clark would echo that. What I can't tell you is, you know, how much he believes, how, you know, 
how much I don't even want to say fall off because that's not fair to Demko. Any goalie being cast into that role for the first time is going to experience growing pains and ups and downs. He would know better than anyone what how much of that to expect, as much as anyone could forecast that. And I'm not sure anyone could be perfect with it. And I don't know what he's saying to them about that. But I think in a perfect world, like like I said at the beginning, in the perfect world, he's still got both guys next year. He's got Jacob Marks from building towards a Vesna season and Thatcher Demko maybe getting more minutes in a condensed schedule, more opportunity to take steps by playing tougher games and continue to grow into an option should they kick the can down the road here and manage to get Jacob re-signed but without no movement protection, without expansion protection, and have to make another decision at the end of this next season about which guy they keep on the roster and which guy they expose to Seattle. Um, perfect world, he's got both back, but I don't think his answer would be any different than mine or anyone else's in terms of just how good Jacob fits here. In terms of how much you give him and how long, I don't know that the goalie coach gets to make those choices. Oh, well, I think Ian Clark might uh, might know uh, a thing or two uh, about projecting goalies. I think he's had a, he has a solid track record. Anyways, uh, Kevin, thank you so much uh, for doing this podcast, and uh, hopefully you can have it on again sometime. This is a lot of fun. I learned a lot as well. I don't get to say I learned a lot about goalies from other interviews. I, I appreciate the, the kind words. I, I appreciate you having me on. Just, you know, everything I said, don't try and apply it to ball hockey because I'm not sure it's all going to transfer. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. All right. Thank you to Kevin Woodley for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. Now, since we last recorded an episode of Power of the Towel, Quinn Hughes finished second in the Calder. Yes, he did not beat Kale McCarr, but it was relatively close for a rookie race, and it was one of those years where there was a clear 1-2 or, you know, 2-1. It was either Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr was going to win it, but thankfully, the PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, who votes on the Calder, releases their votes. So anyone who gets to vote on these awards also has their vote released. Now, you can argue Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes for the Calder. I obviously would have said Quinn Hughes, but you could have made a case for Kale McCarr. Let's not kid ourselves. He had a very excellent season. I think he got helped by the fact that he played in the playoffs last year and did well, which doesn't count for the Calder. But alas, that's how people's biases and perception of things work. But there was a clear 1-2. McCarr, Hughes, whichever order you want to put it in. But there was a few people who didn't put Quinn Hughes in their top two, which is an absolute fucking travesty. How do you not have Quinn Hughes as at least the second best rookie this year? But, hey, thankfully, as we said, the PHWA releases the votes from everyone who voted on the Calder. I just want to highlight a few of these clowns who voted for Quinn Hughes to not be in the top two. Okay, first up, Hates Murat. I hope I pronounced your name right, but you voted Adam Fox first on the Calder. Like, what the fuck? Adam Fox over Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes third, Adam Fox first? Look, I get it. Adam Fox had a good year. He's also older than both those guys. So, fuck that. Atez Murat, you're a clown. Larry Brooks. Brooksy. 
John Tortorella's favorite media member from New York. He put Adam Fox second. Kale McCarr first. Bit of a homer pick, but Brooksy, come on, man. Big time clown move. Uh, Stephen Conroy put Merzlikens. Yes, Elvis Merzlikens. Second in his caller voting. What the fuck? Merzlikens over Quinn Hughes? Yeah, Merzlikens had a hot stretch, but he was not a dominant goalie like Quinn Hughes was a dominant defender this year. Fuck out of here with that. Renault Lavoie, TVA, kind of like the uh, the French-Canadian sports set. He put Mackenzie Blackwood. Mackenzie Blackwood. Second on his Calder ballot. Like, what the fuck were you thinking with that? Mackenzie Blackwood. The Devils were terrible this year. At least the Vancouver Canucks were a playoff team. Right? Like, what the fuck are you thinking, Mr. Lavoie? I hope... Some of these people need to get their their votes reprimanded for a year. Like, no no voting privileges on the Calder for a year if you couldn't put Quinn Hughes in your top two somehow. Uh, Jim Thomas of St. Louis, Dominic Kubalik second. I'm not sure what the fuck was going on there. Kubalik second? I guess he saw Kubalik a bunch of times, but Kubalik, another example of an older guy who's eligible. He's 25 years old. 25-year-old 30-goal scorer. Is that nearly as impressive as a guy as young as Quinn Hughes putting up points the way he did? Fuck no. Jim Thomas, you're a clown. Ben Pope, Chicago Sun-Times, Kubelik second. Again, another homer pick like Larry Brooks, Brooksy. So I guess I mean, I guess it's sort of expected. Like All the Vancouver guys voted Quinn Hughes first, as they should have. Kubalik second over Quinn Hughes. Fuck out of here, man. So yeah, just wanted to end this episode and all the clowns who didn't put Quinn Hughes in their top two. Absolute goddamn travesty. Anyways, that's this week's episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Subscribe to the network wherever you get podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel and myself at Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.